0: Caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney.
1: Oh, yes. Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney.
0: What's up, brother? It's one of those days in this sport, Andrew, where you're at the bottom of a mountain and you hear rumbling. And it's like in the distance. And the next thing, there is an avalanche of news about to smash you in your brain tank. And that's what happened uh, today. Just unbelievable. And, um, and I could think of no other way to discuss this and go through everything without using serious ITN News at 10 news Music. <laughs> See what I mean? How yeah. how intense and terrifying is that? Is that <laughs>
1: It's just screams of integrity and important?
0: Right. It's so, so it's so very British. It really is. So, so my dad had a had a problem, has a problem. He watches the six o'clock news on Radio television and RTE. He watches the 9 o'clock news and he al- he always loved the 10 o'clock news on, on the British channels. So that's uh-huh. what he did. So I used to get a barrage of news into my brain. And uh, with every bong, there would be some information. Now, I will say it was much graver than the bongs we're about to have tonight. But the first bong, I hate, bong, attacks on Dubrovnik continue as Yugoslavia descends into war. bong. IRA, IRA volunteer caught with 700 pounds of Semtex in Nottingham. Bong. Princess right. Diana goes on holiday. What does this mean for the royals? Bong. That kind of thing. But right. we're going to do it by the bongs. It's basically. not
1: like the bongs here on our local news, which is like, well, there was plenty of monkeying around at the zoo today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, these were much graver, much more serious. <laughs> bongs. Yeah.
1: Um, let's see. Well, I've, I've kind of combined them, JJ. Oh, you like have? The seriousness of the bongs with the silliness of, of our local news and, the and it's punnery. Um, so should we get into it? Cause we have several stories here on the news at 10 tonight. Um, that is what it is, right? The news at 10. The news at 10.
0: And it used to be read by a very, uh, a very grave looking man called Trevor McDonald. So tonight, Andrew, you are Trevor McDonald. Okay. So here's our, uh, I guess, we've done our intro, and now...
1: JJ, our top story tonight, it's more money, more problems for Manchester City, as the Premier League levies over 100 financial charges against them. (sighs) Seriousness. Gravity. Uh, JJ, according to the Premier League, City breached rules relating to UEFA regulations, which include FFP from 2013 to 2018 as well as the English top flights, profitability and sustainability rules from 2015 to 2018. Um, There have also been further breaches, which concern handing over full details regarding manager remuneration, as well as player remuneration in the 2010 to 2016 period. JJ, sometimes we talk about the office on this program, you a little bit more. So the British one, me, the American one, there's a scene from the American office where, Oscar is trying to explain to Michael uh, what a a surplus means, and he can never seem to get to a simple enough explanation for Michael until finally Michael says, explain it to me like I was five. Right. And I think that's where most of us fall with this sort of financial fair play uh, and just being in the weeds of money and Illegal right. sponsorships. I, I need this explained to me like I was a
0: five-year-old boy. Well, first of all, let's just, let's just talk about what came down. Released silently on their website today, or not so silently, the Premier League's four-year investigation into Manchester City revealed the charges it was taking against City, which were laid out per Premier League rule. So you had rule whatever, whatever, very kind of... What would you call it? Legalese. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live and football financial expert Kieran Maguire was on and he did the job of breaking it down into Labradorian terms for thickies like me and you and our listeners. We'll see if he
1: got to the five-year-old level.
0: Right. Okay. So Kieran says that basically we can lump the charges into two categories. So the first charges together... Are that man city have artificially inflated the money coming into the club through sponsorship revenues etc when it's really come from the owner just by a different name um money uh coming in from the sponsorship revenues et cetera would not be uh concern, you know it wouldn't concern itself with FFp however money coming from the owner would be would be problematic in in terms of ffp uh charge two city art- artificially deflated the costs of running the club. So for one example is the example that was floating around for years about like that's another thing. A lot of this stuff I feel like we knew and we've been told but we ignored it. It's been burning away for a while this fire. But basically the Roberto Mancini incident uh, situation where he was getting paid X amount of money by Manchester City. Well, hang on. Here's another company that's paying him Y alongside that. Oh. So that would inflate the, the, the cost that would be put down on the books of running the club would just be his Manchester City pay and not this shell company that's paying him more money. The Those, remunerations, if you will. The remunerations. Correct. Mm. Um, so like, so when I saw this today, my first reaction was, was wow, the detail the Premier League have gone into, how City were kind of caught on the back foot by it. Uh, Fern Soriano, the the CEO, was on the phone with the Premier League when all this was leaking. So it took City two hours to release their statement, um, which basically says, "Hey, yeah, we're going to cooperate with everything, and uh, we're a bit surprised at the breadth of these charges because we've we've given you so much." So much information already, which is the Premier League basically says that they have uh, not done that and they have not engaged with the with the um, with the investigation at all. Um, so, so part of me was like, Eric Panja has been like writing this one article once a month since 2018 about this investigation. Miguel Delaney has been writing once a month or maybe twice a month in his case about Man City and this investigation, and. Numerous people who are involved in the financials of football have been saying things about City. And also, I mean, don't urinate on our shoulders and tell us it's raining. Manchester City suddenly atop the Forbes revenue charts ahead of Liverpool and Manchester United and and Real Madrid. Just stop. Okay. Yeah. Nonsense. Something was afoot. And... uh, and and now i guess the one thing is now the premier league appear to be uh in the midst of of pushing back uh, a couple of things just a couple of notes so so city have already been banned from the champions league for two years but that was that was overturned by the court of arbitration for sport um which basically said there was a a statute of limitations on city so i arbit- have
1: that here
0: yeah so so basically city there was wrongdoing, but because of the the statute of limitations, meant that oh well, these these no prosecutions can be really taken against City, no uh, no indictments handed down to right. you. They sur- they kind of got off on a technicality. They got off on a technicality, but here in this investigation, that's not the case. Right. There will be there no is court. no
1: statute of limitation here.
0: There is no statute of limitations. There will also be no court of arbitration for sport to go running to. Um, so this is this is a very interesting juncture uh that we've hit today.
1: Yeah. Um Cave Solakal from yes. Sky Sports. He's great. Uh he said it like this. He said the Premier League's financial fair play rules are designed to ensure clubs pretty much spend what they earn. You can get around that potentially by inflating how much you're earning or hiding how much you're spending. Um, According to the Premier League, Man City allegedly broke the rules over nine seasons. They allegedly didn't provide accurate financial information. It's also alleged, like you said, they had a secret contract with one of their managers, Mm. Mancini, allegedly. Um, I mean, I know it's not fair to do this, but the cliche of where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, this has been smoldering for for a generation. And you, you wonder now if this is finally the fire starting to break out. I mean, what you said is what would worry me if I were Manchester City. The idea of the statute of limitations helping them the last time around and that not existing now. Um, Let's see. This was uh, from Sports Illustrated. This was from their article back in 2020 after the Court of Arbitration for Sport downgraded Manchester City's punishment. And they're, they're discussing an element of the punishment that involves City disguising equity funding as sponsorship contributions. And they say on the funding from Abu Dhabi communications firm that sponsors City... Uh, C.A.S., the Court of Arbitration for Sports, said in the full verdict that the, quote, charges with respect to equity funding being disguised as sponsorship contributions from ETSALOT are time barred. C.A.S. said the alleged breaches fell outside their statute of limitations because the payments were received in June 2012 and January 2013. The club was, quote, well aware that the payments were made as equity funding, not as payments for the sponsor on account of genuine sponsorship liabilities. So it sounds like City from this investigation knew what they were doing, did it anyway, but managed to get off, like we said, on a bit of a technicality. Yes. Um so by the way, my favorite going back and reading some of the statements from that when the Court of Arbitration for Sport overturned UEFA's ruling, my favorite line was when they said uh CAS said city's conduct should be, quote, strongly condemned, and it <laughs> hopes the large fine would be sufficiently strong deterrent. To other clubs <laughs> who have to comply with financial fair play rules to enter the Champions League and Europa League, yeah, the ten million—that's what it was—a oh, ten million was euro it? fine for oh. Manchester City's ownership, and they had and and the CAS had the nerve to refer to that as a strong deterrent to
0: to other clubs. What? If- how could they have thought that with a straight face? If you were to go to Kaldun, uh Mubarak's many residences and go into his many sofas, you'd find that ten million down the back of his sofas. Like, I what? do wish
1: there was a way to. Is there some kind of like Mubarak to Devani conversion chart? Like, I want to know what ten million to him is to you or to me.
0: Yeah. Right. Fifteen bucks. Yeah. Maybe a hundred. I don't know. Maybe. And we're Maybe. pushing it there.
1: No, definitely not actually.
0: It's not actually. Nah. Of course it's not. This, I mean, what are we out about? This is why we're bad a billionaire, the, multi-billionaire. We're, we're bad at the financials. Yeah. So, so yeah. um, I, A tweet I wanted to read to you, Andrew, because you're talking about the fire and, and I suppose that's the next, the next kind of question we have to ask. Like where, where is this going? Um, nick harris who was great follow at sporting intel um he's big on this he's big on um drugs and sport all 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 this area He's an excellent excellent follow on twitter um he quote tweets an account called at slbsn and then names who he is so he says stefan is a former financial advisor to man city a Man City fan, a former banker, current lawyer, CEO and general counsel to a PLC dealing with allegations of of historic accounting issues, also well across FFP issues. So this is an interesting view. And this is SLBSN's uh, tweet. Alarmist or not, the sheer extent of the Premier League charges are at a level that, if found proven, must lead to relegation. So... First off, wow
1: to, to even think of that. Yeah. Um, secondly, like, look, we know that these top European leagues are not necessarily opposed to taking that kind of action for a serious matter. Look what we saw with Juventus. Mm. Um, but I just, this is one of those situations where I've just become somewhat, I don't know, the, the idea of financial penalties not being taken seriously. I feel like has been normalized. Yes, where we just we are of the expectation now that no one really wants to get serious about these problems. Maybe I don't know because they they want these clubs to be spending in this way because it's more interesting. It brings in uh, TV revenue. I, I don't know. You can come up with your own motives for whatever it is, but I just it's become hard for us as fans to believe that a club who's in financial penalty like this would be punished severely. We're, we're used to it, you know, with with what Juventus did, you know, the the compromising referees and things like that, that goes right to the heart of the, of sport. So I think that we can all kind of like wrap our minds around that sort of punishment But with these financial punishments, because we don't understand the rules entirely. uh, It's just hard for us to envision it. So it's one of those things where I can hear those tweets. I'm going to, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I feel like mm. the precedent hasn't really been thrown down on one of these huge clubs in that sort of way. And so if this is the moment, then city would be setting the new precedent. Cause I feel like we haven't really seen it yet. I guess I'd, I'd have to go back JJ and look at what happened with Rangers. Um, yeah.
0: Taxes. Well, I mean, Rangers were relegated, right? So um,
1: that's what I'm saying. Maybe this sort of thing has happened before and in, in not quite a large scale, uh, as large a scale as this. And I'm just not quite as up to, date with what the information was on those things but yeah. with with a club like city and just how big they are and how important they seem to be right now on a european and global scale i'm gonna i'll have to i gotta see it to believe it
0: yeah and a lot of fans share your skepticism that anything will come out of this that it will first of all the belief is um have you 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 know the dutch story of uh the the boy who saved holland by sticking his finger in the dam yeah Well, think of the dam. Think of all the water as all the allegations and the weight of evidence against Manchester City. And then think about a hole. And then think of the little boy as Khaldun uh, El Mubarak. And then think about that hole being stuffed with lawyers and litigation and paper and obfuscation and delay. That's how I think City will approach this. Don't forget, we know from uh, Der Spiegel's report on uh, WikiLeaks that city said that they would basically their tactic would be to 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 tie everything up with lawyers. They'd they'd pay ten lawyers ten million a year or however many much it'd take for the next decade. They didn't care about how much it would cost to stop this thing moving forward. And you'd fear that this independent panel that's coming now might be under the same pressure, might be under the same uh, problems from city. There's another wrinkle to this. So uh, the government. Uh, in the United Kingdom wants to bring in uh, a football, an independent football regulator who would regulate a lot of the financial aspects and and just the running of football. Like how is it that the PIF of Saudi Arabia own Newcastle United? Mm -hmm. Issues like that. And obviously the Premier League doesn't want that person there. Now, if they don't want that person there, they have to be able to prove that football can run football which is a general feeling that it can't. What better way to prove that football can run football by properly in, properly finishing this investigation against Manchester City and taking out the sanctions? So if the Premier League are in a mindset like, we are trying to keep further regulation away from us, but this is the sacrificial lamb. And when I say sacrificial lamb, that's not wrong. What's sacrificial crocodile is better? Because like City have, as, I know these are all allegations, but, I mean, I'm fairly confident that they will be proven or can be proven, put it that way. Um, and so, you know, maybe the Premier League looks at this and thinks, for the greater goal and good of the game and keeping a regulator away from our affairs, let's let's hit City as hard as we can.
1: It'll be fascinating if that happens. It'll be fascinating, too, because I know a lot of this has been going around over the last 24 hours of the comments Pep made back in 2022 where he said if they have lied to
0: me i'll leave the next day uh i i said to them this is the quote if you lie to me the day after i am not here i will be out and i will not be your friend anymore i put my <laughs> that- faith in you because i believe you 100 percent from day one and i defend the club because of that
1: the friendship part is the part that really stings
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that's the that's the real deterrent
0: yeah so that's, that's where we, where we, where we are right now. um, And, and we're guardiola to follow on that. I mean, that would be really, really significant. um. But I, yeah, I just see this thing. This isn't going away, but by the same token, this isn't going to be wrapped up quickly.
1: Yeah. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. So um, I feel
0: uh, this this is certainly the first part of it. And it is a stunning day because of the sheer breadth of like the hundred charges and, and the scale of it. I mean, we have we have Lucas Leiva tweeting today. Am I now a Premier League champion? <laughs> you know, I don't think that will happen. Um, and, and honestly, to be perfectly honest with you, like if you look at, say, the example of 1314, like I wouldn't want it. C- OK, OK, City there may be very provable allegations of financial impropriety against Manchester city. There's also very provable allegations of Chris three, three. There's also very provable evidence of Steven Gerrard falling over, you know, that one, that would those to me, I, I get the unfairness of what city done here, but like retro, retrospectively stripping titles doesn't do anything for football and doesn't do anything for like the future of the game. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it seems there's no I, time machine uh, remedy for this.
1: I agree. I, I think future punishment is far more effective than retroactive punishment. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, just it's just the way I see it. Maybe we can get some kind of open top bus to to roll through the streets of Manchester with that United team that lost out to like Aguero in 2012. A, fr- you know, a friend get- of mine,
0: uh, uh, she sent me a. Uh, she's a United supporter. She sent me a, a list of those who'd won the title if you were to vacate City's titles just liverpool or manchester united yeah basically (laughs) one after the other man united liverpool man united liverpool man united liverpool
1: yeah Um, it's interesting though jj i wonder if you found this um the way this story resonated with non-soccer fans yes i had a bunch of text messages like it's weird because it's very even among even for soccer fans a story like this is so it's complicated it's money i don't know always if that's is that what fans like but i was getting text messages today from friends of mine who are not soccer fans saying, I can't wait for your pod. I can't wait to hear you guys talk about this. I said, wait, talk about what? Like (laughs) the game or like Jesse Marsh? What? Who? No, no. The city thing. So I don't know, for some reason, it, it's, it has really struck a chord with people. Maybe just the glamour of that club, people who know next to nothing about the sport are just fascinated with the idea that they could be
0: kicked out of the Premier League, which is a big deal. Oh, and sure. I guess, I,
1: I guess I'm talking myself into it. Maybe I can see now why why it would hit people.
0: Yeah, and don't forget how many listeners just like swarmed to our podcast uh, during the Super League. I mean, it was on the daily. Oh, that was New the York. end of the sport as we knew it. New York Times. I wonder will it, if it makes the Daily tomorrow, that'd be interesting. I don't think it will. No, I don't see that happening. Because there's other more important things happening, I guess. But um, yeah, that's where we're at. And uh, and I, I will say as well, you know, because engaging. I've got to get out of these rival club supporters spaces. My my head just pops up in the space and I'm listening to them. And they're like um, the group therapy sessions, really, you know, so I went into the city one today and, and a lot of the talk was uh, you know, well, we're the outsiders. This is just the establishment pushing against us, and and it felt it felt terribly sad. Now the, I don't blame fans in a situation like this.
1: It's not they blame. didn't ask for their club to do things the wrong way. I they, know, but they like but they, the, they want to
0: win. They want to
1: have good I, players, they I wanna know. see their I, owners invest in the team. They I, they're not you know they're not
0: in these backroom accounting meetings. <laughs> they're not. I know they're not, but it's amazing how many pictures I saw of in Caldoon we trust. You know, straight afterwards, you're like, surprised. Like, no, it's a major part of like any sports watching enterprises that you align the fans with the with the owners in a very tight bond, and one defends the other in a, and it's like a mutually symbiotic relationship that's developed there. Um, like this, this guy who you know, literally in his entire life has probably never been told anything. He's the one that gives the orders. But, like, there's some kinship between him and, like, Manchester City working-class fans, probably just because of the trophies he's delivered to the club. And City naturally see themselves as kind of outsiders. I remember hearing John Bruin talk about this way before the money. Um, you know, this is what it means to be City is a thing for them, you know, because they're so hapless, I mean, they were just a disaster zone from most of the 90s and the 1980s as well, if you want to add that in just bad and badly run. Mm-hmm. And and they still see themselves in that mindset. So they see it as like an establishment attack. And we've heard it all before. Same rebaked allegations. And I'm like, yeah, we have heard it bo- before. Um, and, and there's another part of me, Andrew, is like. Were we surprised? Like, how else was this supposed to work? A massive nation state takes over Manchester City and they're told, hang on, you're only allowed to put X amount of money in. And the nation state is run by a royal family. That that gives the orders, is never taking orders. And what what way are they going to react? Like, are we that naive, I suppose? Totally agree.
1: Agreed on all counts. Uh, All right, JJ. Let's do um, another bong. Up next... This coming Sunday, American football defenses will be trying to sack opposing quarterbacks. But on this day, American coach Jesse Marsh was getting the sack of a different kind.
0: Oh, that perfectly read. It's so local news. I love it. I I love it. I love what you've done. This is great. And and I do see a career in news reading for you.
1: I just love it. I hope they don't. I'm not making fun of them. It's one of my favorite things about the whole industry. Um, So Jesse Marsh, J.J., We'll go through the uh the standard questions that we have when a manager loses his job, yeah, your gut
0: reaction to this you at all surprised uh not massively surprised, I suppose slightly surprised that after that you know move in the window for players that would fit his kind of narrow central style of play that he would be gone basically today after most of them made their debut that that to me but okay. Not hugely surprised. Um, the game on Sunday, Andrew, was so alarming in the sense that they dominated the first half, they were way better than Forest in possession, they missed chances. Kaylor Navis made some amazing saves for Nottingham Forest. By the way, that sentence Kaylor Navis made some amazing saves for Nottingham Forest. Yeah. What on earth? Um, they fell behind then, and you expected a big second half onslaught, and it never came. I don't think Navis had a major save to make in the second half. And then you just felt you, you kind of started to really worry for Marsh because he did his usual thing. I take responsibility. I think we played well, but I just need to turn playing well into results. And you're like, right. Jesse, Jesse, we've heard this before. When's it going to happen? Um, I consulted my, my huge uh, uh, Leeds United supporting friend who's followed them home abroad, Europe, whatever. I asked him, he said, it was an inevitable. It was inevitable. It wasn't a question of if, but when surprised it came today, but, but what's the sense in waiting? It was a poison chalice anyway, after Bielsa, but even more so for an American with no premier league experience, nice guy, but out of his depth and his ideas on football was never going to work at Leeds. And then he goes on to say, I don't know why boards and owners don't consult history. The most successful Leeds managers, Don Revy, he was a player turn manager, Howard Wilkinson, a Yorkshire man, David O'Leary Leeds player turn manager. Um, and he said even Bielsa, who had no connection uh, before his appointment, he had a great track record of going into places and, and 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 transforming teams that weren't at the top. He then says, next appointment is crucial or we are going down. And that is the key sentence. And that's why Victor Orta and the board acted.
1: Um, Yeah, a couple of things with that. First off, hmm, what was the term you used there? In over his depth?
0: It, it, like out of his depth. Yeah, that feels really harsh. It did um, feel like it, though, didn't it, Andrew? I mean, like, the stats are... Let's look, look at the stats. Uh, this is the Premier League record. 32 games, 8 wins, 9 draws, 15 losses, 39 goals, four, fifty-three 53 conceded, 6 clean sheets, sacked with a 25% win percentage. Like, there was times where you thought, he's just... he's too green. Yeah, uh, 2 wins in the last
1: 17, 0 wins in 3 months... I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not I'm not surprised. I, I feel think bad also for the guy. Yeah, me too. I like him. I, I like Jesse Marsh. I do think he's a good manager. I don't he'll ne- it's not i I would never sit here and say you'll and he'll never you'll never work in this town again. Like it's not like that. I, I think also it didn't help him that like Everton pulled the trigger on Lampard, went out and got Deitch and immediately beat Arsenal. That probably didn't help. Um, not only because it tightens the screws on leads with Everton picking up a big three points, but it also sets a little bit of an example of, Hmm, like maybe, maybe we don't want to wait till it's too late. Everton went and pulled the trigger here. Maybe at the right time, we don't, maybe we don't want to let this go much longer. Um, so that probably didn't help either. Like you, a, a little bit surprised that they would spend that kind of money. Uh, Reuter, McKinney, uh, who was the other one? Wober. Uh, all, all pretty significant moves for leads to make. And then you you fire the manager just a day later. Um, little bit strange, but nothing that I don't think is, is like overcomable for them. Like I think a new manager can come in, even if those weren't necessarily the players that he brought in. uh, Those are all talented players that I think a new manager can, can find ways to work with. So uh, even that doesn't entirely shock me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't like that it happened. We we like Jesse Marsh. We kind of we kind of I kind of rooted for him. I wanted to see this work badly, um, but I can't sit here. It would be disingenuous for me to say I'm stunned. I don't know where this came from. I I get it. I do get it, especially in that we talk all the time, JJ, about like relegation, especially a club like that that just came out of the, this generation of wilderness. They, yeah. they got to do everything in their power to make sure they don't go back to that sort of time again. So uh,
0: I understand it. No, that's and that's the general feeling you get. Um, the the fear, the absolute fear, of relegation. They 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 want whatever new manager bounce they can harness to kickstart this thing. And, and now the question is: Is it going to be uh, Anthony Iriola from Rayo Uh Is it, uh, they say that there's no chance of a return of Bielsa. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, who else was I seeing? Uh, the West Brom manager, who's who's working wonders. That was another name that came up. Um, thought I saw Ange Postagoglu's name. I saw that too. Uh, I wonder. I don't, and I, like again, I don't want to give guys credit for 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 things. It's a it's a money game. It's a managerial game. Ange, the guy who's fought all his career to get to the level he's at now, and the Premier League would be his next natural stop. But I kind of feel like mid-season with Celtic doing what they're doing, he's not going to want to do that. Well, I think
1: these jobs, I mean, it's a Premier League position. They don't come they don't come along very often. If you I know Celtic are a huge club. I understand that. Yeah. Um but if you get offered one of these, no, I no, agree. There's no guarantee. Yeah, look, it would surprise me if he never got another chance, but you don't know. You don't know how no. this these situations can play out.
0: <laughs> Andrew, you fought hard enough to get to Celtic. Uh huh. You know, so absolutely. But um I, I just don't I don't feel that's gonna happen right now
1: well who's the I'm, betting f- is it Carlos Corberon is he the he's West Brom manager I yeah think he's I've the West Brom his, manager has probably been the one most
0: prominently featured for this opening yeah because he's like, a Bielsa disciple right yeah I mean, I mean who isn't in- though really I mean if you, everyone everyone that seems to enjoy like pressing or something like that uh, appears to be um, some kind of disciple of Bielsa Uh West Brom currently in sixth in the championship table hmm I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I, I I can't. I can't see that one either. I think it could be our friend Iraiola from um, from Rayo Valicano. I mean, that, that was the big name that's floating around at the moment. Um, I'm not sure who he's a disciple of. Maybe he's a disciple of Pep Guardiola.
1: Now, the angle of this that I'm more intrigued by is not what happens with Leeds' next manager it's what happens next with their former manager yes jesse um boy us us twitter really really took this one and ran with it today as you would expect there is a i mean would you say i don't know that i can sit here and say there's a, a opening right now for the, the head coaching position of, of the u.s men's national team there kind of is sort of um this is a guy now with with pretty good European experience, not all of it great in terms of results, but he's he's a pretty well-traveled, as far as American managers go in Europe, pretty accomplished one. Doesn't get much more accomplished from that standpoint. Uh, and so now with him being available, he vaults right near the top of the list. But I've seen a little bit of back and forth. There are some um, who I've seen basically saying, it, it, well, this is it. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And there are some saying, eh, not so fast. The results have the results of what he just did in these last couple of jobs have to mean something. So let's pause and, and take a breath here before we just dive right in.
0: Yeah. I, I saw it, one of those things that comes up on Twitter where you've got two completely competing viewpoints. So um, Pablo Mora of The Athletic, who's a pretty good writer on U.S. Soccer, says... Yeah. Crazy that Jesse Marsh's potential appointment to the US men's national team is almost assumed among so much of the US fan base. Lots of positives there, but I could easily be convinced that another candidate is a better fit. Here's to hoping the federation considers all the options they have. And then right below that, Nico Cantor If Jesse Marsh's sacking at Leeds doesn't end up in him getting the US men's national team higher, I will enter into a state of despair. <laughs> So, I mean, that kind of sums it up. I I did see I mean, I would say it's seventy five percent. When can we get Marsh in on 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 US MNT Twitter? Um, I had a thought. So I I watched um, uh, JJ Bull and I forget the McKenzie. Is it from TFO Football? And they were just talking about Jesse Marsh's system and the way he sets up. Because I was curious about the football that I watched um on sunday and (laughs) they talked about how narrow the football is because he believes the goal is in the middle of the you know the goal is central so let's keep the ball down the center get it into our midfielders if they lose it then we can create um moments to press and win the ball back and then we're in on goal that kind of system and that the fullbacks in that system andrew function to just get the ball into the midfielders again and start moving the ball in that central area. If you're Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson, the incumbents of our fullback positions right now, that's not what you want to be doing at all. So that was the first thing I thought was like, would that be like counter to what some of his players might want to play in terms of his system? Now I'm not saying Jesse Marsh only has one system, but that was his preferred uh, method at Leeds United, you know, I wouldn't like seeing that if I was Serginio Desk and Robinson, or maybe I would, who knows, but um,
1: it's going to, you're going to have a hard time. If you're waiting for the manager that gets unanimous approval from every member of the U S soccer community, you're going to be waiting a long time. And, you know, Jesse Marsh has had some good results in Europe. He's had champions league experience in Europe. Um, So look, if it winds up being him,
0: it's a good appointment.
1: uh, Yeah, I think so too. But I also would not fall into the Nico Cantor category of no, if this doesn't happen, you will find me in in the, in a dark corner somewhere in a fetal position. Like I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite at that point yet. Look, here's the thing that you're trying to sift through is, and this idea of does, does the American teams manager have to be American? Because if it does, then Marsh is probably near the top, top of a, of a short list of candidates. Right. I do not subscribe to that theory. I know that's the way it's been. Um, with Exceptions here and there, Clinsman, although he's almost pseudo American, he's lived in the US for so long. Um, his son was raised here, so even him, but like, I, I don't subscribe to that, I don't think it needs to be the case. So, but but if you limit yourself to that, then what are we looking at? We're looking at a list of Marsh. Uh, I would throw Jim Curtin into that list, I think that that's a good suggestion. Uh, I who, who am I, nothing good, Brian Bob Schmetzer, Bradley. maybe.
0: Schmetzer, Bob Bradley. Um, I mean, you think they'd go back to Bradley? I don't know. I don't think they. I'm not saying they would, but when we're talking about possible, can, like actual guys with the with the kind of resume, Peter Vermees. What about like a like a David Wagner? David Wagner too, but he's he's he would be a European hire. Let's be honest, like really. Yeah, he's, but I mean, he's an American citizen, but not not American in 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 the in the cultural sense, in the in the soccer cultural sense, anyway um here's another one and this one popped into my head today as well and i wonder if you agree with me on this andrew you know the obvious hire in international football how often the obvious hire doesn't work out well you know that's the guy so i'm thinking of Okay, well, they worked out well for a while, but like Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, seen as this dream team tandem for the Republic of Ireland, that did not end well and only only had one qualification. Um, in this case, Marsh being the Martin O'Neill in that yeah. analogy? Yes. It, there, was a, there was a Martin O'Neill, there was a clamor for him for about 15 years. Now, maybe he came too late as a manager and his ideas were to just too set in stone for Ireland. Maybe he needed to be a manager earlier on. And in that sense, Jesse Marsh is a better position. Um, who else am I thinking of? There's there's a couple of glaring ones. Um, Kevin Keegan at England. Like for about 20 years, it was, can we get Kevin Keegan to England? He ends up resigning in a toilet in Wembley after a 1-0 defeat saying, I can't take the team any further. I'm just not good enough. There are examples where the guy that everyone says is the perfect fit, he understands us, He's he's one of our own. And he's had success somewhere else. Now we've got him for the national team. Ipso facto. We're going to be great. That doesn't work out very well. Jesse Marsh is young. Jesse Marsh probably wants to get a job in League or in the Bundesliga and get back at it. And prove himself again. Day to day working with players. That is not the remit of the US manager's job. International football is a part time job in terms of actual coaching. Yeah. it's it's
1: it's it's very high profile yes um it's glamorous but you're right like that was going to be my next question is it it's one thing for us to want jesse marsh but is this a job that he would want
0: i don't i don't know Uh, i think things went so well at salzburg they did not go well at leipzig they did not go well at leeds united he'll want to get back on the horse and prove himself again I, I really do feel that, and it'll be at club level. And I think he'll get.
1: You know, it's funny. You could, everything you read about this is that you kind of get the same sense of we all felt like he had to go, but we all really liked him. I think that that can get you another opportunity quicker than if if he left on some kind of bad terms, if if his personality clashed with players or with others in the in the within the club. I think the fact that he seems to be very well liked, he'll get another job if he wants one. I think. I think there will be one for him. I don't know that it's in the Premier League, but if he wants another job in Europe in a top flight somewhere, I think that there will be one for him.
0: Yeah. I, I think I think the Premier League will probably not be an option for him for a little bit. Um but I I think there'll be a job. There could be a job in Ligue on in France, like I said. I'd see it in the Bundesliga, maybe even maybe Serie Um, I don't think he's done by any measure. I I think I think there's a lot of people like What he what he can bring, but like he just just the wins, man. The wins they did not come. There was not enough of them,
1: and so now Chris Armas takes the reins. Unbelievable. Chris Armas has he's been there what a week? Now he's going to be
0: managing leads back to back games against Manchester United (laughs) potentially. Uh, Yeah, unbelievable. And him and uh, him part of uh, the the recent Manchester United history where he was number two to Ralph Ranyek just keeps getting jobs. Chris Armus's magical mystery tour. Amazing. New York, Toronto, Lee, Manchester, Leeds. Where next? <laughs> uh let's see. All right, JJ. Uh
1: next at 10, Kane takes aim and causes Pep more pain. You come for the rhyme there. I don't know if that's quite local newsy. No. Um but it that's... is still one of our big stories to deal with tonight, the news at 10. Um We'll start with the Kane side of this. I don't know what's left to say about him. I mean, like I, he—I think he tweeted this too, something to the effect of uh, "Not bad for a one-season wonder." I mean, this was this was the mo that it was his story was just so unbelievable in the most literal sense of that word to people that they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that it was happening. So the only thing you could say is that he's a one-season wonder. What just happened isn't real. Guys like him, journeymen, Lone ease in the lower divisions of the of the english ranks they don't suddenly become this this is this has to be a fluke
0: no but
1: he's just done it over and over and over until we reach this point where he's now passed jimmy greaves for yeah. god's sake at tottenham and and he i mean he's got to go down as as i would think the preeminent striker of this era in the premier
0: league he's unbelievable uh can do you know who his first ever goal for tottenham was against Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers in the Europa League. Yeah. Um, back when there was a chance he might have declared for Ireland. I mean, at that point, we thought he's gettable. He's not going to be a starter at, at Tottenham. <laughs> he's not. He's a non... He, he might be at best a championship striker, and we'll get him in because his grandfather's from Ireland. But, like, that aside, uh, you, he... I think the great thing I can say about him, in terms of his touch, his awareness, his link-up play, his finishing, he got better and better and better as he went along. And from what I've heard, I've never heard anyone say that, oh, well, when he was at Millwall, he was actually really good. He just didn't get the breaks. We saw something in him. When he was at Norwich, he looked like he could score lots of goals. It, It was just, we could see it coming. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. And it was a crisis basically of, wasn't it a crisis of personnel that there was, there was enough injuries up top. He, he started to get a, a couple of substitute appearances and then the next thing it's, it's just taken off. It's uh, yeah,
1: it's an amazing story. Um, yeah. It was really Tim Sherwood who kind of propelled him to really give him a go and, and give him a run of matches. And in fact, JJ, that was when I went uh, to White Hart Lane. It was during Sherwood's time. And I was at, The Tottenham Fulham match when Kane scored so I actually saw I saw him score uh which was cool
0: what's your favorite Kane goal of all of all of them um not not that you think the just your favorite for whatever reason sure I would say the a couple against Arsenal
1: uh one I mean maybe his most famous one when he kind of steals it on the edge of the box and then just from an impossible angle whips one in um off the off the post throws his mask off goes crazy uh that one is just it's such a legendary harry kane goal also but the problem with that one is alexis sanchez wound up equalizing a few minutes mm-hmm. later and it ended 2-2 um he had a header to beat arsenal in the 86th minute where he's sort of fading away from goal but somehow yeah. still gets enough power on it to send it back the other direction it's an unbelievable goal um, again, it's not his most beautiful one, but maybe the goal that he scored that made me scream the loudest because it was just so unexpected. Uh last season against Manchester City, yeah. deep in stoppage time after City had tied the game. It was just, you know, you felt you were just saying a prayer that City weren't going to go on and win it. And I think when I think about Kane's performances, that game against City last year, boy, it, it might be the best the best game I've ever seen him play for Tottenham. I think he had two goals and the assist. He was just he was, he was just on another planet in that game. Um, that's the thing about him is that you know he he had one against Leicester City. I'd would want to go back and see it again. But there's one against Leicester that stands out to my mind. I think it might have been a game where he had four um, against them. You know he's he he has scored every kind of goal. Yeah. He has scored goals in big moments against big teams um he's never been a problem guy or a big ego guy well once I mean, well so so uh, yes sort of but i want to say something about that which i don't think i've ever said on this podcast actually about the flirtation with manchester city um it was more I, than a flirtation they
0: were making out
1: yeah yeah that's fair they were making out um but you might remember jj when we were talking about that during those podcasts I don't know. If you went back and listened now, you might think Andrew wasn't really that hard on Kane then. Like I didn't really come down on one side or the other with it. It was kind of weak, I guess. (laughs) But the thing that I, that I would say about that situation that I didn't really say then, but I'll say it now uh, about it. I mean, what had Harry Kane always said ever since he ascended to the player that we know him to be at Tottenham, he had pretty much always said the same thing that as long as the club, appeared to be moving in the right direction he would remain with them he was consistent in that think about that time when he almost went to man city they were coming off of the toxicity of the Mourinho era Mm -hmm. they whiffed on all of their top choices for manager jj and they settled on fn nuno like honestly even the most ardent tottenham supporter out there which i'd like to think i'm in the conversation but i'm sure there's Guys who live in North London who've been had season tickets their whole life. I mean, really, if you ask those people, come on, guys. Like, if Kane had always said, as long as we're moving in the right direction, I'll stay with the club. Look at the situation that Tottenham were in that moment. Are you really going to tell me that it, that you could sit there with a straight face and say that they were going in the right direction, that, tra- that the trajectory was upward? No, no. definitively not. no. Now, who could have seen what wound up happening, where Nuno lasts a couple months, gets fired, and Conte comes in, and, and you know, seemingly writes the ship? Although you could look at them now and say, uh, uh, even that, I'm not so sure. But like, it it shouldn't be that hard for us to look at the situation that they were in and say, well, if that's what Kane has always said, it's not crazy to think he'd want to leave. Now, you you didn't like the way he went about it. But it's never it's never a clean break in a situation like that, especially for a guy who came up through the academy, who's a lifelong Tottenham player. It was if he was going to leave, it was always going to be ugly. It was the only way it could happen. Um, So even that, like like I said, if you listen to those podcasts, I wasn't that hard on him because I always kind of felt that way about that whole situation. So even that, I don't. I don't really hold that against him. Look, I've got a lot of Tottenham players that I love, Lennon, uh, Musa Dembele, guys who I've I've talked about, but it's him. Like if you ask Tottenham fans of this era who's your guy, it's him. It's the way like he just passed Jimmy Greaves. Tottenham guys who are my age, their grandparents, that's what Jimmy they'll talk about Jimmy Greaves the way we'll talk about Kane in 30, 40 years. This is it's amazing to see what this guy has done. Um and it's just so fun the way that it's happened. It wasn't a big money move from some guy who came from La Liga or, or Borussia Dortmund or something like that. It's a guy who's one of their own, as, as the song goes. So really cool. Um, really cool. And a great win for Tottenham as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I'll just break down Kane's uh, Spurs goals by competition. Uh, Champions League 21, uh, UEFA Europa League 18, Europa Conference League 6, Premier League 200. FA Cup 15, League Cup 7, 2 six, seven. Um, My question to you now is, we're hearing a lot about how Bayern Munich will come in in the summer and look to take him there, and will offer him the chance to maybe do something in the Champions League or certainly uh, become, you know, win, a, win a, a Bundesliga title. Um, that was one of the clubs that the papers were reporting. Alan Shearer has 260 goals. I can't see how Kane will want to leave now without trying to get a crack at that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I guess you have to ask yourself, like, what from a legacy perspective, what carries more weight—becoming like staying? Tottenham is, have said that they're not selling him to a Premier League rival. So, if if they're to be trusted in that, then there's really no club he can go to in England. Um, so if you know, you've heard the rumors about Bayern, I mean, is winning a Bundesliga at Bayern Munich better for his legacy than becoming the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer? I don't think so. I don't think so either.
0: And I honestly think if you look at Alan Shearer, say he never won that Premier League with Blackburn Rovers, but he still got 260. Would we think any differently of him? I mean, he spent how many years at Newcastle? Won nothing. I don't think and he's we probably, think... I mean, he's. He's
1: probably remembered more for being the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer than he is that title at Blackburn. Thousand, I, I mean, a thousand so, percent. Yeah, it's a tough one. Look, I, I understand Kane's desire to want to hoist a trophy. Like he's befitting of of the honor. Like he should. There should be an image of him out there holding a trophy up, and and I'm sure it kills him that he hasn't done it. Um, I don't. That's a tough one. I don't know. It's that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, in terms of the game itself, yeah, I mean, look, Kane steals the headlines, uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, that goal that they scored, it felt very Pochettino in the way that it came about. That kind of high-pressing, winning the ball back in a dangerous area. Uh, Hojbjerg did a great job of playing it to Kane, who finished in, in Kane-like fashion. Um, but Tottenham, it, it's a weird thing. I don't know how you explain this. The you know, Manchester City have owned this era, along with Liverpool, but City have won all these titles, and they can't win in that building. Five (laughs) times they've played there, five times they've lost. They haven't scored yet.
0: I think very strange. Yeah, and I think, but I think City are in a general malaise right now. They're not what they were. They're they're trying to find a kind of a new way forward. Then there's the stuff with Cancelo leaving, um, which, like, if you do believe in like the chemistry and bond of a group, when someone like that who's been that important as a player leaves that can upset things and and look they haven't been quite their, themselves this season um, De Bruyne is starting on the bench yeah that um, would
1: you know I know there's a lot of talk about Holland he didn't play well didn't have a shot I don't know if he, he even had a touch in the box Um, and like sure but De Bruyne is the engine that makes this all go he's the one who is going to be reliant upon setting up Holland with his opportunities you know him coming off the bench his uneven world cup just his advance you know he's just getting older there's so much mileage there like we've we've spent so much time jj talking about liverpool how they played 60 games last year maybe it's natural that there would be a setback this season we don't usually say those things about manchester city because we become desensitized to the fact that they're robots they're not real people and they just like continue to operate at this high of a level no matter what but that's maybe not reality and maybe Maybe we just need to recalibrate what a Manchester City setback season looks like. With Liverpool, it's falling to ninth. With City, maybe it's this. They're not bad. They're still second. They're still challenging for a title, but we're so accustomed to them just, you know, putting up 90 plus points. You know, maybe a setback for them is is something in the low eighties
0: finishing second. I know it leads us into our next item, but boy, boy, did Tottenham do the arsenal a favor.
1: That's right JJ we now know one thing that's not in Mikel Arteta's arsenal defeating Sean Dyche next at 10 <laughs> Yeah so what's what's to be made of this is this like is this some sort of immediate signal of what I talked about last week that the guy who should really be worried right now is Frank Lampard that that Everton are not as bad as maybe we thought they were
0: um that's kind of instant coaching. I mean, we made fun last week about the bleep test and, uh, and, and doing that kind of pre season work in the middle of the, of the season. I mean, Everton never, I wonder if Frank Lampard looked as, even in their defeats of, uh, Chelsea and Manchester United, which were crucial at the end of last season, they never looked as energetic as this. They stopped Arsenal from playing in such, they were so tight, compact, um, so, you know the coaches' voice YouTube, where um coaches like Guardiola, Mourinho come in and talk about their greatest uh wins, and they they show how they with little with these little uh, coins they they show how they set up their team for these victories. Like, um, so dice did one <laughs> for when they beat Burnley, or when Burnley beat Liverpool. And a lot of what he did in that game, he did and operated against Arsenal, the kind of V defensive formation in terms of pressing um, and the way they closed down Arsenal players. And they created the better chances. They never let Arsenal settle into a rhythm. It's it's the most discombobulated Arsenal have looked at any point this season. I mean, I know they lost at Old Trafford, but the truth of that game was that they could easily have won that match as well. You know, that was a much closer game. This was this was like concerning and and the one thing for for Arteta and Arsenal now is to make sure that doesn't happen again in the sense that whatever dice did they have to be able to play through that now cuz there'll be other teams looking at that and thinking give that a go uh yeah i would say that that is a little bit worrisome
1: for arsenal that's now back to back games uh being shut out this one from everton previously fa cup against manchester city um I- Maybe it's natural that they would hit some sort of mid-season bump in the road. It had all been going so swimmingly for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and ultimately it doesn't cost them because of what happened at White Hart Lane. Um but Can I just circle back again what Dice did? Like, I saw things there in that game that I hadn't really seen in a while. See, Seamus Coleman on the overlap, whipping in a cross for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who flashes a header just wide. A goal off a set-piece where Tarkovsky physically bullies Odegaard Mm. just pulls him off and nods home Um, they were generally just like to quote Jamie Carragher who often talks about Everton as you know Everton teams the dogs of war you know tough uncompromising direct all those things Um, and it's such a cliche but you know he got that place, that building, absolutely rocking. It's as loud as it's been at any point, probably since the end of last season, and loud in the good way. It was just uh, there was something about Everton DNA in that game. It just smelled of Everton, <laughs> like them at their most simplistic best, and um, and that's a cracking result, an absolutely brilliant result.
1: Well, we'll see what it means if they're able to crack on uh and and continue with the momentum of that I, i'm someone who's a little bit skeptical of momentum in this too. league i i sometimes feel like every, sometimes every game is a season i don't know all the if there's a link from one game to the next um so i well, wouldn't well, get carried away but but that doesn't even really matter because when you're battling just for this you just got to be
0: the the best bad team so three points against arsenal at the end of the season that's massive But but they're going into the derby now on Monday and who's going in in better shape? Liverpool or Everton? I mean... I would rather be Liverpool. I'd rather be Liverpool. Yeah, I'm just... uh, Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll see. This will be a very good... This will be a very good test of whether what they did against Arsenal is sustainable across a few games. So it was a
1: very weird juxtaposition when you get these games like the one Everton just had where a huge protest march takes place outside of the ground yeah planes are flying overhead saying that it's the worst run club in england um but then like there's that juxtaposed with the outpouring of joy moments later when they score it's just like i don't know i always feel like that just looks weird to me are we are we loving this or are we hating this is it just
0: all the emotions at once I think the fans are well able to uh, kind of parse and separate board, board level, running of club results on field. Mm-hmm. Like they're capable. Cause I remember even when Rafa was beloved at Liverpool, I remember protests outside the ground. I was at a game where, where they sang against the Gillette and Hicks owners, even though things weren't like Liverpool were competitive in Europe, competitive in the premier league, but they still hated the owners. So, uh, that's how it works. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. I understand why Everton fans feel the way they feel. It's just, I don't know, it's just like a funny look
0: to me when, like, what? what's the duality of man? It's the duality of the football fan. I'm really angry about this thing. The ball's got on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right, JJ, our final story tonight at 10. Tonight's look at a club in crisis. Liverpool. Oi the club we just mentioned moments ago um
0: jeez andrew
1: what what is so this is now it, everything that was going on there was obviously concerning something was wrong um you know we had we had come to terms with the fact that this liverpool season was whatever whatever mounting challenge we were waiting for i think we've all come to understand by now it ain't happening this is just not going to be that season but I did not see 3-0 to Wolves in the cards. No.
0: Um, it's about as bad a start I, as I've seen to a Liverpool game in, I can't remember when. And a lot of people were talking about, well, remember against Aston Villa during COVID and the mm-hmm. 7-2. But I'm like, you, that's, that just felt like a complete aberration. Like, it did not feel like this Liverpool team had fallen off the earth. This felt like a low point and in a season of low points and we're not even sure if the low point if this is the low point if there's another level to this cavern that Liverpool have fallen into. I went to um it was absolutely freezing cold day on Saturday. Friday and Saturday were minus um I'm doing it in Celsius now, but minus eleven, minus thirteen bitter. But I went to the the Monroe for the game, the Liverpool supporters bar in Brooklyn and um there was considering the weather. There was a healthy crowd in there, but it, it was it was shocking, Andrew. Absolutely terrible. I'm, I'm, you have to go back maybe to Roy the Roy Hodgson era, or maybe the end of the Brendan Rodgers era for like a flat feeling like this. And look, everything that the manager tries to do, the midfield formations, like everything is going wrong like Matip just melting down in that first half for the the goals were pathetic. I would say this Wolves are a much better side under Julian Lopetegui than they've been in the last 18 months. That all that factored in Liverpool should be putting up a much better performance. There was nothing good. Everything was wrong. And then when they had the 20, 25 minutes of dominance in the second half where you thought there's a goal coming here, maybe two, you had chances from Salah, you had Darwin Nunes blasting straight at the keeper. You knew he wasn't going to score. Cody Gakpo, the equivalent of football missed. <laughs> you know, a fog. Just not making no impact. And then Wolves break and go straight down the field and score. I mean, it's not that there's like sectors of the team you know it's not like that center back crisis we had in 2021 remember where we just barely made fourth after like lo- losing six home games in a row it's right. not like that it's more like there's problems everywhere like like we can't do anything there was there was one one passage of play where ball goes into midfield i think it's uh, batitich gets it plays it out to rob uh, robertson there's nothing on robertson comes back inside to tiago Tiago gives the ball away, and then whoop, Wolves are straight down the field on the attack, and it just seems to happen over and over again. And um, and Liverpool just look they they look done. Like, yeah, they done do. From...
1: They look defeated. Um, yeah. You know, they every season they've been so invested. I mean, last year JJ they were they thought they were competing for a quadruple last yeah. season for most of the year. So they've been they were so invested in 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 every front so it must be jarring for them to have a season like this that almost feels i mean i won't say meaningless they have to believe that they can still make a a push for fourth but you know obviously they're still alive in the champions league so once that kicks back in who knows that can read you know a a good couple of run a couple of matches there and it can rejuvenate a lot of things maybe potentially for them but uh, it's got to be jarring in, in terms of the season itself for the games to be feeling like this for them where they're not
0: playing for anything No, it's, it's, it's terrible. And, and I was in a, in the bar with, um, a couple of, uh, people who were over from Norway and, um, what he's, um, Lars, one of the guys was just like this big Liverpool supporter. And he said to me afterwards, and I can't pronounce the word, so I won't try, but he said, there's a word in in Norwegian for this, which is, which just basically means this doesn't matter. And I know what he meant by when he was saying this doesn't matter is that he's so in he's just so numb to it now that there's an acceptance this is the season, this is what's going to be. But like it does matter. Like if that us not being able to make a run at the Champions League, like that is money we can't afford not to have coming into the club. You have to be in the Champions League. Um it's just a disaster, an absolute disaster this season. Um, you're hoping that you know when are you going to see jota when are you going to see diaz um yeah. something that can reinvigorate the side when it's is Gakpo like... going to really start to kick on um, can, darwin can... nunez
1: you know when are we going to start to see you know his chances created are brilliant but when will you see the finished product right well most solid most just oh. think this new contract the most lucrative contract in the Premier league is is have we seen the best of him is that money he might still be a good player
0: but is he ever going to sniff the heights that he was at previously But he looks discombobulated by the changes that have been made around him and um and like if you look at if you look at the profile Andrew of a Liverpool forward Diaz Jota Salah Mane Firmino Minamino even Origi like does does Gakpo or Nunez even come close to any of those well they Maybe. might
1: we don't know yet
0: we don't but there's feels like there's there's those two signings were were led to believe. Now were not made by the you know the the guys who were involved in that area. These were Klopp signings, right? Um were like the sporting director is gone, the the stats and analytics guy is gone. Like the club seems to be in this like drift, and and I don't I yeah I mean it 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 happened over a period of time. I think only buying one midfielder since twenty eighteen in Nabi having Nabi K come in who didn't fail there's something, who failed rather, there's something in this about letting things slide, relying on Fabinho being good, relying on Henderson being good, relying on the fitness of Thiago, just letting these things slide, letting these happen, not replenishing, not refreshing, and that's how you end up in the situation you're in right now. Can
1: I I surprise you for a sec? Because you know I... Absolutely, I, you're I, you're
0: always a surprise to me, Andy.
1: Because I, I often affectionately refer to Jurgen Klopp as the the moaner in chief, um, and so yes. he did he did another one of his moans this weekend when he <laughs> so Wolves win three nil, but Klopp in his press conference says, um, "Well, I don't count the third goal because that was their first time in our half, <laughs> uh, in our half of the field in the entire second half. So the third goal doesn't count." And it's such, it's expert level moaning, but I couldn't, I couldn't criticize it because I heard him say that. And my initial reaction, JJ was, Hey, I, I do that. Like, cause <laughs> we had just talked about, uh, the, the US's recent friendly, how like I'll play those games in my head of like on a near goal scoring chance or something like that. I create my own scoreline. When I if they miss like an obvious chance, I'll say, "Oh well, we in in a game that matters, we would have scored that, so that counts." Klopp does the same thing, and I think it's great. The mind you you can you can manipulate the game however you want to do it in your mind. It's it's fantastic. I love that him and I are cut from a similar cloth in that way.
0: I I didn't think that was the direction you were you were going to go in in terms of press conferences. I thought his behavior towards James Pierce of the Athletic was disgraceful.
1: He's I mean, look, he's he is. He's the poster boy for
0: for sore loserdom, sure, and he knows it. But like this was um, really frustrating because I don't know what what James Pierce wrote in the Athletic that upset him so much that he wouldn't take the question. So he he for anyone who didn't see it, James Pierce asked a question about the bad starts and conceding early. Klopp goes, um, I don't like to answer this question. I don't want to answer a question from you because. You know why the things you've written. So I don't want. I don't want to answer this question. If someone else can ask it, and Paul Rowan of the Sunday Times goes, I'll ask it, and he exact asks the same question, and Klopp answers to him. <laughs> what a like, ridiculousness! This, yeah, I, no, and it's it's bad, and it it like feeds into the whole idea that things, you know, things are are in a bad bad shape. Even though we've seen many examples in the past of Klopp being testy uh, when the team hasn't won, but. um, I listened to Rafa Honigstein on the athletic football podcast. And he said, there's a lot of similarities with uh, Klopp's behavior with journalists from the, at the same point uh, when things were falling apart in his final season uh, with Borussia Dortmund. Mm -hmm. And the thing Rafa Honigstein and the point that he made was he doesn't Klopp doesn't like, he will take a question about, well, that, that decision didn't go your way or that was a mistake or whatever. You know, the individual little things in a game, if it goes wrong, he's fine. But if you question the overall health or system or feeling in the club, he hates that. And he reacts very, very aggressively towards that because he does not, this is what Raf said, he does not want that mentality that things are wrong at the club seeping through to his players because that's, if there's any doubt because of the things Klopp asks his players to do, the running, the pressing, if there's any doubt in their minds about what they're being told, whether they've read it or heard it somewhere else, that affects performance, that affects what he's trying to do. And so that's why he acts so aggressively. There's no excuse for that way he, uh, he treated James Pierce, in my opinion, unless there's something horrendous that James Pierce has done. And if so, I want to hear it. But um, Yeah, I, I'm curious too. But that's that's uh that's Rafa Rafa Honigstein on the Athletics podcast. That was his view on, on why Klopp acts so aggressively. But Andrew der, Derby on Monday now, jeez, all of a sudden that is it's huge. So fraught. They have to get they have to get a win. And then there's a lot of people who are like, well, we don't want to win and get halfway and then end up in the Europa League. <laughs> so and I, I get that too. Nah, I, really? Well there's 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 I a train of thought, and maybe it's just my Liverpool sporting friends, but one of them said, if we're not going to make anything for a season, let's have just domestic football. Let's not have conference or whatever the hell and try and try and rebuild uh, with just domestic football to focus on.
1: Uh, I, mean, I guess I get it. Liverpool have won a Champions League recently. They've been to a couple finals. Uh, so uh, I, I suppose I approach it differently. Look, the Europa League is not the competition that I want to be in, obviously. But I don't I don't see it as the burden that some others see it as. It's a competition that if my team is in it, I I, I want to win that thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Liverpool have uh, Everton coming up on Monday, then Newcastle, then Real Madrid, then Crystal Palace, then Manchester United. Those are four. I don't want to. Nothing against Crystal Palace. I know they're ahead of Everton in the table, but those feel like four really tricky fixtures in their next five games. Um it's tough. This is a this is a really look Klopp has not been through many stretches like this. This is about as tough as it's been for him right now. We'll see how they handle it. Yeah. Um that, that about wraps r- up the the news at 10, JJ. I do have a, a couple other quick things that I feel like do need to be mentioned. I guess this is kind of our sports and weather now portion of the news. Um <laughs> But uh wanted to mention, um, boy, Fulham's performance against Chelsea. I know that feels a long time ago now because it was last Friday, but it was technically this match week. Um, I mean, you know, a lot's been made of, oh, Chelsea spent all that money to draw nil-nil with Fulham. Ha, 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 ha. Fulham were excellent. I mean, they defensively, are. that performance from Fulham was spectacular, I thought. Uh, Tim Ream. I saw he made Alan Shearer's Team of the Week. This is He, he saved a... A goal from, you know, an incredible hustle back uh, to kind of pull one off the line for Chelsea that looked like a, a was going to be a sure thing. He was unbelievable in this game. Uh, I don't know how many examples I can think of like this, of a guy really, really kind of finding himself in this way at this at this sort of age.
0: You don't see this. It's really, I don't know, it's really unique yeah and uh we did a great in the club with uh, jack collins last week you can go and watch it on youtube on its own on uh Offside, off site and go subscribe to our youtube channel and he goes into like kind of every aspect of fulham but ream in particular and how i don't want to step on anything he says go listen to it go watch it but ream was kind of just putting in great performances at the championship then when they get to the premier league he was kind of cast aside so maybe this was in him all along and um but it's rare. It's rare you can you can kind of pull out those performances at, at that. Um, I was going to say advanced age. He's like five, I mean, year, in a he's five years sense. younger than me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, in the in a sport in a sporting sense. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to mention too, for Manchester United, sort of a best of times, worst of times game. They do win two one, and boy, if you I guess if you want to. If you sort of want to see, okay, what does Ten Hag football look like? Their second goal was just a thing of absolute beauty. Quick passing, yeah. uh, set up for Rashford to just tap one in in front. It was a gorgeous goal. And I guess if he can bottle up whatever he wants his style and his brand to be, I would think that that goal would be it because uh, it was just it was just gorgeous. Now, I, I also want to say, because there's been a lot of controversy over Casemiro's straight red that he received. Right. Um, uh, united fans can come at me i can be soft you can say whatever you want it's a red like i I don't i don't get it he put both of his hands around another player's neck and you can say to me all you want oh no no but he's trying to defuse the situation it's not an aggressive act yes it is okay If, if you put two hands around someone's neck yeah in this situation it was it was diffused because i forget who it was uh the player that he did that to didn't decided not to take it up a notch. But, like, you do that same thing to another guy, and now you got another fight going on because Casemiro just tried to choke someone. Yeah. So, like, yeah, in this situation, it looked like it was diffused, not because of Casemiro's actions, just because the guy he did it to decided not to go crazy. But somebody else might
0: have. It's yeah. a red. It just is. The Der- former Premier League ref Dermot Gallagher was on Sky, and uh, this, is the- <laughs> this is Dermot's succinct uh, comment. I think Casemiro is a red card. The reason I say that... Is because you can't condone a player putting both hands around somebody's throat.
1: Yeah, like that's, that's I the... I've I've just seen so much pushback from United supporters yeah. to the idea that this was a red, and I don't, I, I don't know, I I don't get it. I it is, it just is. What would you do see if the I controversy? Put
0: my, my hands around your throat. If you put both, I'd
1: go crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't just take it. I'd go nuts. Casimiro's lucky that didn't happen here. Then it would have been a a way more obvious red. Um, So I don't know. I didn't. uh, Apparently that was a big controversy, but to me, I don't know. I'm soft, JJ. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, This is a
0: very weird weather section. (laughs) (laughs) Is this not? Yeah. There's uh, warm air moving in from the Midwest, uh, just in and around the area of Casimiro's hands, which will be on someone's throat yeah
1: well there you have it i don't uh i don't have too much more i did want to say one thing on a no. on a far more serious note yes um what has happened in turkey over the last 24 hours is horrifying the earthquake followed by the the aftershock which i think the aftershock was a 7.7 7. um the what the pictures that we're seeing from there are it's just unbelievable i mean war zone call it whatever you want it's it's a true disaster and at the time of recording i've seen all kinds of different reports but christian atsu who's now uh who's playing in turkey who only just over the weekend scored in the 97th minute to win for the the club that he's playing with um jj i don't know about you i've seen a lot of different reports over the course of the day but the from the outlets the media outlets that i trust most espn fc um i think sky bbc i think they're all saying that at this point uh, he is still listed as missing. Um, Colin uh, um,
0: Colin Miller of the uh, he's the Euro- European football on uh, the Daily Mirror. He tweeted this at two thirty today. Christian Atsu has been found alive inside rubble after today's devastating earthquake that rocked Turkey and neighboring nations. He reportedly has breathing difficulties and an injury to his right foot and has been transported to hospital so yep.
1: i saw that report as well um it, i'm not saying he's not reliable mm-hmm. i hope that that report is accurate i hope it's substantiated i know you know ESPNFC here in the u.s is is one of the sites that i just kind of use as sort of my guide as to what i'm comfortable going with and at this point they're still okay their their article here says uh hey spores christian Atsu, sporting director also missing after turkey earthquake um Hopefully by the time you're all listening to this, uh, that report is substantiated, and he has been found. That they have been found. Um, I've seen different, varying reports over the course of the day, um, but I all I can say is it's it's horrible. Uh, Christian Natsu, formerly of Chelsea, uh, Newcastle, um, Ghana international. Um, so are you know obviously we're not just for for him and that and those of that club um who have been affected by this but everyone there because it's uh it's really really horrible to see um so we'll be thinking all the the best thoughts that we can possibly think to hope that um that those guys wind up being okay and and i mean just but you see some of the figures of of the toll the death toll that has that this has taken and it's really it's really horrifying
0: it's true it's truly appalling and um and our thoughts and and our support and our 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 best wishes are with everyone out there. It's just it's just awful.
1: Yeah, um, that about does it here on this uh, this edition of Caught Offside. We should say before we get out that the the meeting that we were hoping for JJ of the Seattle Sounders against Real Madrid it's not going to happen. Uh,
0: the, the Sounders fell to Al Um They 4-0. left that one on the table, Andrew. They were by far the most dominant team in the first half. In the second half, they allowed Al-Ali to get into it a little bit more. Al-Ali started moving the ball much better around the box. It was a fluky, deflected goal in past uh, Stefan Fry. And really, regardless of what you think of the tournament, or I think of the tournament, lots of nations regard this as a good tournament, and it's an important tournament, a one they want to win. Um it would have been big for them to play real madrid that hasn't happened and um i think there'll be a few execs up and down the league who will be maybe not garment rending but certainly a bit upset that this one didn't come to pass
1: yeah yep um so there you have it my friend i don't have much else you no that's it uh i'm 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 done with the 10 o'clock news all right that was a long the 10 o'clock news has branched almost to midnight is that is that normal jj Do, this is the british news is it is it of such a caliber that it lasts almost an hour and a half?
0: If my father could have found a midnight news, he would have watched that too.
1: <laughs> well, I enjoyed this edition of the, uh, the 10 o'clock news. Hey, good stuff, my friend. To you, I say...
0: Check it later, phone boy. I'll see you.
1: You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.